working things out. And he's been living in exile for over 60 years. That's a long time to be away from home. And here in this exile time, he finds faithfulness. He finds rhythms of life and habits that are hardwired. Have you ever known somebody, um, there's some in here today who are, are kind of in their mature senior years, and you've just been walking with the Lord for a long time, and you just, you know, life gets real simple, life gets real clear, life gets really kind of down to the fundamentals, and you don't, you know, all the things that maybe are complex and, and uh, you know, worrisome at younger years and decades, they just don't seem to encumber you as much in your senior years. And, uh, you know, years, and, years ago, Camille and I had the privilege of knowing uh, a man in this town who was a pastor for over 80 years. Um, he founded a seminary. His name was uh, Charles Witte, um, Bob Witte, rather, uh, Robert Witte. And Dr. Witte was a legend in Jacksonville church lore, and uh, he was a member. He taught the senior adult Sunday school class at the church where we attended. Well, when Dr. Witte turned 100 years old, we did what good Baptists do. We celebrated Dr. Witte Day in our church, and we celebrated all these decades of life and ministry. And then we, um, you know, there were, there were accolades and letters from the president and the governor and the trustees of the seminary. Uh, he founded Luther Rice Seminary, if you're familiar with that. And, and Dr. Witte was just a wonderful uh, human being. And then we did what good Baptists do afterwards. We went to the fellowship hall and ate. Thank you. Yeah. And... Uh, and in that moment, we asked him, you know, he, he hated that we were making such a big deal about his life and all of this, but it just seemed the right thing to do. And so we, we asked him in that time, we said, Dr. Whitty, what words of wisdom? You've lived a hundred years, and he still had all his faculties with him. He was an amazing man. And uh, he, he, with just great clarity and real clear eyes, he said, you know, my life has come down to a simple statement of three parts. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Can I just tell you, most days my life is not that simple and clear. I wish it were. I'm trying. I bet you are too. But, but there's something about that season of life, and that's where Daniel is. So I, want you, I wanted to make sure we kind of understood that as we peer into Daniel chapter 6. Now, unfortunately for time, we don't have... Uh, we don't have the time to read the entire chapter today, but as the story unfolds, King Darius, here in chapter 6, is coming into power. He wants to set up his administration, so he set up these satraps, and that's just a fancy word for a governor uh, or a mayor, and then he sets up these vice presidents who oversee these mayors, and they're like vice presidents, and Daniel is one of these vice presidents. Well, here he is, this foreigner, this immigrant to Persia, and he's one of the number two people, uh, number two office in the country. Well, how do you think that made the mayors feel? And you know what? Uh, this is just kind of a, a side note. The more success you have in life, the more your enemies will increase. <laughs> that's just kind of the way it works. Uh, and that's what happened with Daniel. But you, it brings us to our first point because they conspired to bring him down. They conspired to, to tear down him by his reputation. But they knew they couldn't do it because of his integrity. And that brings us to my first point. How can we live a life of contagious faith like Daniel? The first one is we see, and we're going to read here, he has convictional integrity. Look at verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, shall... 
we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What a life testimony Daniel had. That they could, when they were trying to bring him down, they said, you know what? We're not going to find anything about him. There's nothing in the bushes. There's nothing dark and hidden in his life. You know, we live in a time when a lot of leaders are, are being questioned and, 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 and their behavior and their character is being put under a spotlight. Well, they tried to put that spotlight on Daniel and they found nothing but integrity. I have a real simple definition of integrity. It means the tongue in my mouth matches the tongue in my shoe. That my walk matches my talk. That what I say I'm about is what I'm really about. And that's the kind of leader and that's the kind of person. And, and that wasn't from his lips. That's what they were saying about him. May a lost world who was looking at him and seeing that see that today in us. That there's the people of God, that we are people of integrity, that we, they would not be able to bring us down by temptation, by, by bribery, by anything that would dissuade us from our convictions about what we believe about the gospel and the mission of Jesus in this world. May we be people of that kind of convictional integrity. But they knew this. He was faithful to his God. And if they were going to get him in trouble, that's how they were going to do it. So they had the king establish a law that no one could pray to any god but the king for 30 days. And, and so they, they put that uh, law in place and they knew that was going to try to trick him. You know, when, when Camille and I were in banking, we, we had a, Aaron mentioned we had a, a season of life where we were both in the financial industry, and we both went through teller training. I don't know if any of you have been through that, where they actually train you how to balance your drawer and cash checks and do all that. And part of that is they teach you, they actually bring the Secret Service in, and they teach you how to spot counterfeit uh, bills. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a fun day. We're going to learn all the tricks of the trade, and they're going to show us all the little things that they do to counterfeit and all that. That wasn't what they did. You know what they did to train financial professionals how to spot counterfeits? They showed us the real genuine article and showed us a lot of the detail and a lot of the specifics, how it felt. And yeah, that's the hardest thing to, to mimic is how the, the money feels. What faces of each president go with each bill. You have to memorize that. I can tell you about that later if you want. But they, they teach you more and more about the authentic thing because the more you understand the authentic, authentic truth, the more easy it is to spot a lie. And, and folks, we live in a world where, where we have to, to, to steep ourselves in biblical truth because there is a world out there that is pushing a counterfeit. You know, Satan's all about counterfeits. It looks like the truth, but it's just a few degrees off. Well, they weren't going to trick Daniel this way. Daniel was true to his God. He showed it to everyone, his friends and his enemies. He was authentic and real about his faith. You know, Daniel didn't advertise. He didn't put, you know, all these kind of posts and kind of in people's face. In fact, one of the best points of witnesses that, the witness that we have is the integrity of the lives of integrity that we live before others. We just live a life. We let, now, there will be a time when we need to speak up and give a witness, but, but can I just tell you the stronger witness for the truthfulness of the gospel are the lives that you and I lead under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And people will take notice of that just like they took notice of Daniel. So he lived a life of convictional integrity. But look at the second thing. It's down in verse 10. 
Daniel had a life of consistent prayer. Consistent prayer. Verse 10 says this, Now, when Daniel knew that the, waiting, the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since the early days. Now, all right, hang with me. There's a lot in here. We could do a whole series on prayer just from this passage. There's so much in here. But, but kind of lock in with me here for a few minutes. I'm just going to overview two or three things that are pretty remarkable. First, it says that when the decree came out that nobody was to pray to the king, but to the king Darius, Daniel was faced with a dilemma. He had a choice to make. He could have simply said, you know, I've been praying all my life. The Lord knows I'm his. I'm, we've got a close relationship. I can take a 30-day break, right? And just not cause up any trouble. That's not what Daniel did. No, what did he do? It says, first and foremost, he did what he always did. He went home. He went to his house. His home was the center of his prayer life. And can I just tell you, he, he went home, he got down on his knees, and he gave things to God just as he had done as his life habit days before. In other words, he didn't just decide to start praying when the decree came out. He had already been praying. He was a prayerful person, and this just had the occasion to demonstrate that. So, first it says he, he, he went home, and you see how personal his prayer life is. Prayer for Daniel wasn't just something he did at you know, when he was out for lunch or, or out in a crowd or something like that, his prayer life centered in his home. Now, now that there was a law against praying, he could get into trouble for that. And it says that, you know, his shutters were open. Now, he could have shut the shutters, but he didn't. He left them open. Now, here's what that means. That, that his prayer life was intensely personal, but it wasn't private. It was there for anybody to see if they were paying attention. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to push it on anyone, but he was living it out in front of everybody with his windows open, facing towards Jerusalem, on his knees. His life of faith was intensely personal. You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It doesn't say shine your light in their eyes. It doesn't say be obnoxious about it. It's just live your life. Let your good works speak for themselves. Let your life of integrity and in serving God be a witness. But it was not something to be hidden. Second, it says that he prayed three times a day. Daniel didn't just pray every day. He did, but his rhythm of life was to pray morning, noon, and night. It's like I heard the preacher say, you're only supposed to preach two time, uh, pray two times a day, daytime and nighttime. <laughs> you know? Pray all the time, right? Amen. Well, Daniel understood. He had a rhythm of life. He, he, prayer for him wasn't just a one and done kind of a thing. Okay, got caught up, I'm good. No, it was a rhythm. It was a habit. It was a, just a, a lean in his life. He, he lived a Godward life, and the, his prayer posture was, was, was rhythmically coming back to the Lord constantly throughout the day. He knew Psalm 55, verse 17, which says, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in my distress, and he hears my voice. There's no prescription in the Bible for how many times a day we're supposed to 
pray, but, but there's a regularity to it. There's an intentionality to it. There's a schedule to it. Do you see that? So it makes me ask myself, if somebody were camped outside my win- windows and was paying attention to my life, how many times a day would they see me praying, I'll move on? Next it says he got down on his knees. You know what I've learned over the years? That there's prayer and then there's prayer. There's, there's intense you know, prayer that is, that is just bearing your soul before the Lord. It shows us his sincerity. It shows us his desperation that he got down on his knees to pray. He was in his 80s, and he'd come to realize that now, and maybe especially now, he was completely dependent upon the Lord and the grace of God. It also shows his humility, doesn't it? That Daniel didn't have a haughtiness about him. He wasn't prideful. I'll get down on my knees and I'll pray three times to the Lord. Daniel lived out his faith in a humble, obscure manner. But again, for anybody who was watching and paying attention, they could see it. And then it says, during his prayer time, he gave thanks to God. Now think about this. He's under the threat of capital punishment for doing the very thing that he's doing. And in this moment, he says, you know, I'm going to give thanks to God for this. Now i got to tell you, if they're come hunting for me, wanting to you know, chase me down and put me in jail, I may not just find that to be a moment of gratitude. But Daniel did. And so I was wondering, like, what, what, why, what was that all about? And I, I just kind of to realize that, that it probably has a lot to do with him thanking God for the opportunity to let God use him as a witness during this time. We'll come back to that later. You see, he had faith over fear. And then lastly, uh, about his prayer life, it says that he was praying just as he had done before. This wasn't a new day. This was just the same, same rhythm, same habit, same spiritual rhythms of his life. It was a new day. It was time to pray. It was a long-term arc of, of spiritual growth and, and connection that Daniel had to the Lord. It was his life habit. In the same way, doesn't it kind of reflect the, what it says about our Lord in the Gospels when it said early in the morning, it was his habit to get up before everybody else, go out into a, a place, a solitary place, and pray with Father. That was the habit of our Lord Jesus. And it was Daniel's habit as well. He lived that same kind of commitment of deep and regular life of prayer. May that be said of us. May we be people of convictional integrity, but may we be people of prayer. That was, that was the whole essence of this story. Now, don't miss this. It was both the practice of Daniel's prayer that got him in trouble. It was because he was praying that they got the hook in him, right? They got him in trouble because of his prayer. But don't miss this. It was the power of his prayer life that allowed him to overcome this challenge. Please don't be confused that if you are a praying person that you're not going to have any problems in life. But you're going to be connected to the power source to get you through those problems. Daniel lived the same kind of commitment of deep and regular life of prayer I read this with one commentator about this passage. He said, Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. Daniel had already done his homework, if you will. He knew what his marching orders were. How did he know? He had been praying. 
This wasn't the first, second, or third day. He had, he had his orders from the Father. He knew how he was supposed to move forward in this moment. You see, Daniel understood that the, the hardest battle you ever fight is the internal battle. Not the, not the external enemies that come after you, not the, the things that people do, although those, those can be terrible. But over the long haul of life, it's usually the person in the mirror that gives me the most trouble. Am I the only one? All right, about three or four of you agree with me. It's true, isn't it? It really is. But you know, God will allow us, if we, if we will submit to him, we can put our own pride, our own ego and on the altar, and it'll always be met with God's grace. God used Daniel in this moment, and God can use you and me in the challenges that we face. He never would have had the public victory without the powerful, passionate, and persistent prayer life. But now let's look at the third quality. Not only was he a person of integrity and a person of prayer, I want to camp on this for a little bit. He was a person of confessional kindness. You know how the story unfolds. Well, let's read the passage. Or let, let, let me just kind of unpack it because there's a lot to it. So they, they, they get him in, they get this uh, law written. Of course, Daniel is praying. They watch him pray. They report him to the king. And the king, you've, ha- you've heard of the law of the Medes and Persians, right? You can't, you can't change that law. And so, so you know, Darius had to fulfill the execution of this law. And the, so they have to arrest Daniel. And they put him in the lion's den, which is a form of execution. And uh, Darius apparently cared a lot about Daniel because it said he had a sleepless night. He said they, they tried to bring in, they, they wouldn't have entertainment. Or he, he didn't watch Netflix. He didn't do anything. He, he, he wasn't distracted. He just spent all night worried about his friend and advisor, Daniel. And then early in the morning, it says he, he gets up and he calls down in the lion's den, Are you there, Daniel? Has your God been able to rescue you from the lions? And then we pick up in verse 21. It says, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. There's two things going on here. First of all, this is the only thing that Daniel says in the whole chapter. Did you notice that? The only time words are ascribed to him is this statement. And the first words out of his mouth is a compliment to the king. The one who just tried to have him killed, by the way. Now, I don't know about you, but when people are trying to hunt me down and throw me in a lion's den, I may not get up in the morning and go, hey, I hope you live forever. I don't think he was being, you know, sarcastic. I think he meant it. This was a friend of his. They were in a dilemma. And the Lord had shown up, and it was a moment of celebration. It was a moment of, of just worship for Daniel. And he's saying, and by the way, I don't think he was just talking about the earthly king. But he's like, look, I want you to live forever. I just want to bless you, Darius. Jesus had an ethic like that, didn't he? He said, bless those who curse you. Daniel was showing that hundreds of years before. Daniel had not read Galatians 5, but he knew the fruit of the Spirit because he was exhibiting some of them of peace and patience and kindness and godliness and certainly self-control in this moment. And yet, don't miss this. 
although he kind of came out complimenting the king, he also was a truth teller. He said, now just, just in case you don't know, God saved me. You didn't save me, king. God saved me. And by the way, I'm innocent. He did not mind being a truth teller and pointing to God for his provision. It wasn't just I knew how to whoop some lions or, or, or you know, stay away from them all night or hide from them. God sent an angel to shut their mouths and, and provide for me. What a testimony. So on one hand, you, you see that he has good spirits. He's not angry. He's not bitter. He's not posting mean things on social media. He's complimenting the king, the very ones who were trying to hurt him. And it begs the question, how do you and how do I respond when, when a world comes at us? Do we respond with anger? Do we respond with bitterness? Do we re respond of, you know, you try to get me, I'm going to own you kind of a thing? We see that too much, don't we? That's not the biblical pattern. That's not how Daniel approached this moment. You know, C.S. Lewis had a great quote on forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is a lovely notion until you actually have something to forgive. You ever really have something to forgive? Not as easy as we talk about, is it? Daniel passed that test. How did he do that? Remember all that time in prayer? His character was being revealed because it had been forged previously. But he did not miss the opportunity to point this king, the earthly king, to the heavenly king. And, and friends, we kind of find ourselves in a time when we have to balance conviction and civility. And can I just tell you, in the world that we live in today, it's not going to be as easy. In fact, it's going to get harder. Why? Glad you asked. He exhibited in this moment what a theologian named David Dockery calls convictional civility. And what he means by that, it's a way to engage your neighbors and culture with the gospel. And it realizes that we as believers in North America, can I just tell you, we are now a moral minority. Let that, let that, let that unpack that for a second. And we're in a culture that, please hear me, don't hear what I'm not saying. We do not experience the kind of persecution in this country, like Christians, your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, experience around the world. That's, there's re, people are living under the real threat of, of physical death or imprisonment. I don't think any of us are worried that this afternoon the government's going to take us and throw us in prison for our faith. However, we do live in a culture that is increasingly hostile, maybe a little bit strong of a world, but not much misunderstood, and, and also I think Bible-believing Christians are, are, are oftentimes going to be seen as a threat to society. The very society that we're trying to reach, save, and, re and redeem is going to see us as the enemy. I'm the only one? This is where we live, right? All right. And so like Jeremiah teaches, we need to ask and seek and pray for the welfare of the city. You realize in this story, we're the exiles, right? We're not home yet. Persia. Jacksonville. Okay? This world is here for us to reach with the gospel. This world 
is not our home. We sang about home a little earlier. We're the exiles. We have to pray and ask God to seek the peace of the city. And yet, we know to win our neighbors to Christ, there will come moments where we've got to speak up. We've got to point them. Hey, remember, there's a real God of the universe on his throne. And beyond any kind of earthly structure or political uh, mechanism or any, any kind of governmental systems on this earth, there is above that a, a heavenly king. And he reigns forever. And that king provides, and we're going to have to increasingly, in, in a very winsome but very convictional way, point people to that king. And so we've got we've to learn how to operate like this. As believers, we're, we're here in this world, and we've got to reach our neighbors for Christ, but we can't do it by yelling at them. We can't do it by being angry and bitter, but we do have to speak truth. Daniel did both here in this sentence, and we're going to be called to do the same. And here's the really wonderful part. We must remember that we're never trying to win arguments, either in person or online, but we are trying to tell spiritually thirsty people where to find the living waters that will satisfy the deepest longing of their soul. And like Daniel, we must learn to cultivate a life of convictional civility or, or what I call confessional kindness. So we have these three qualities, convictional integrity, consistent prayer, and confessional kindness. Now let's look at the outcome. That, that's what Daniel brought to this story. That's what we see in the life of Daniel in this chapter. What happened as a result of that? We don't just move on. I mean, some, something significant happened that I think, you know, the, the, the surviving the lion's den is a big, dramatic deal. But can I tell you, that's not the outcome. The outcome have to read here, and that is contagious worship. Other people got swept up in Daniel's faith, and they began to worship Yahweh as well. Look what happened. I'm going to pick up in verse 25 in the text. Then King Darius wrote, the same king who had just said, if you pray to any other god, you're toast, wrote this. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, a little bit of an ego problem there, but <laughs> peace be multiplied to you. 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And then it kind of switches into almost like a, a poem, almost like this was going to be a worship song. It says, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Woo! Darius then went to worshiping. He then got swept up in this worship of the God of the universe. And then it says, so Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. When we bring integrity and we bring passionate, powerful prayer and we bring convictional kindness to our neighborhoods, to our city, people will be swept up in a movement of worship. Not because we out-argued them, not because we got more likes on our post, 
but because they saw it in our lives, they knew it was real, and then we told them a witness about where it came from. And when that happens, people are attracted to that. And the same people who were persecuting Daniel became the the main proponents of worship throughout the land. Oh, may it be so of our day and time and our city. May our, may our mayor and our governor and, and, and federal governments and, and people all over the place see the people of God as people who live the truth, not perfect people, but people who live under the lordship of Jesus Christ and we govern our lives according to his truth. And may we be people that, that prayer is very close to our lips, that, that prayer is a natural rhythm of our life and and that there's a connectedness to our Heavenly Father through prayer and the, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And may we be people that in a winsome, kind way, when injured, when, 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 when having to react to, to people who hurt us, we come back with compliments. We come back with, a, with sweetness on our lips and a finger pointing right to our Heavenly Father, saying it comes from Him. We're not just good people. No, we know better, right? We're people who are in desperate need of a Savior and His grace every day. And the more we submit ourselves to His Lordship, the more we submit ourselves to to His direction through prayer, the more we are going to be an effective witness to our friends, our neighbors, our family members who are far from, from God. May it be said of us like it was said of Daniel. So as I close, I want to give you kind of the, the key question. If it, This isn't on the screen. It's just something I want to, if I, if I were to put the sermon in a sentence, this would be it. Do others around me see my dependence on God and my confession of his goodness in such a way that it draws them closer to God? Do others around me See, my dependence on God and my confession of his goodness in such a way that it draws them closer to God. That's exactly what we just saw happen in Daniel chapter 6. That's the point of the story. Yes, God will save you. But beyond that, he will use that moment, if we submit to it and respond, to further his name and his fame to the ends of the earth, which was why the, Israel, the nation of Israel was chosen in the first place. They were chosen people not to be a cul-de-sac of God's grace, but to be an on-ramp of God's grace to the nations, to Ponta, to Ethne, to all the nations, all the languages. May that be said of us in this day. So as we close, I just want to ask you to consider the, the, the habits and the direction of your own life. I, I'd like to ask you, as, as, as Daniel, as we saw how he lived out what he believed and his life consistently pointed himself and others towards God. His integrity, his prayer life, his witness, all demonstrated that his life did not belong to himself, that his life belonged to Jesus, to the Heavenly Father. Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus the way we've seen this morning? You see, Daniel modeled what Christ lived out hundreds of years later when he came. Daniel was not perfect, neither are you, no perfect people here, right? 
But how do we orient our lives towards God like Daniel did and be more like Jesus in our everyday life? It starts with a life of repentance, doesn't it? Martin Luther said that for the believer, for the Christian, all of life is one of repentance. We're constantly coming back home in need of God's grace. Yes, we need to come home in a confession of our need for salvation and then daily realign ourselves moment by moment. Like David said in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and restore to me the joy of your salvation. I don't know where you came in here today, how, how things are sitting with you. You may have been walking with the Lord for a long time. This is just kind of a nice, kind of a, a realignment back to, to the Father. Or maybe you just came in here and you're far from God and you just need to, to take this moment and just kind of put a stake in the ground and say, I want my life to be a lot more like Daniel's and just reliant upon God. And I need to, to, to stop relying on myself. I need to turn from my sin and myself and turn to him. Maybe that's your situation today. In just a moment, we're going to pray. and Afterwards, we're going to sing a song. Musicians will come and we'll play and sing. And, and during that time, it's a time of response. It's a time to reflect. And can I just say that's for all of us. It's a time to just kind of renew within us, allow God to renew within us um, just a fresh heart for him. Maybe you want somebody to talk to or pray with. There'll be counselors somewhere in the back. Pastor Aaron's here. Others will be available. Whatever God's calling you today, I think I saw it on the sign down the hall. The right time to do the right thing is always right now. Don't delay. We have no promise of this afternoon or tomorrow. So whatever God is speaking to your heart about this morning, won't you say yes? Won't you put your yes on the table? You'd be the best thing you've ever done.